You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three. Got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. In this week's episode, we are focusing on home and family. New BYU basketball point guard Rudy Williams and cross-country runners Davin and Creed Thompson will be guests later in the show. But first, whenever I receive criticism from the family members in my home, I turn defensive. It's probably because they know me the best. The BYU football coaching staff and team have been criticized by their fans after giving up loads of yards and points to Arkansas. But former Cougar QB and BYU TV analyst Blaine Fowler says it shouldn't matter what your family in the homestands says about the team. I think as a team, what if you have good coaches, the coaches just go, hey, you, like this is static in the background. Like you don't really care about what that you can't. You need to focus on what you have to do to get better on the field. So we need to be um, – everyone has to self-evaluate and watch what you're doing on film, identify the mistakes that you're making. As a coaching staff, um, the staff's going to say to the kids, we've got to change some scheme things to put you guys in a better position. But all of this noise from the fans and media, um, you, you, you can't even pay any attention to it. First off – because most, most of them don't have any clue what they're talking about, which is true. Probably 90% of those folks don't know anything about defense or don't have any clue of why they're not being effective on defense or what needs to be done to fix it. They just like to shout. And so so if 90% of the people don't know what they're talking about, why would you pay attention to that and let that clutter your mind? And there may be 10% out there that actually understand Division One college football defense that may have some things, but you can't. You have to focus on you and what the coaches are telling you to do. The coaches need to do a really good job of self-scouting and figuring out what needs to change to put the players in the right position to execute at a higher level. And 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 that's kind of what the mantra is when things aren't going perfectly well is close out the outside, focus on ourselves, get it fixed. Coach Satake, he actually said, hey, I really appreciate the fans that they love us so much. And- I don't have a problem with um, with our fans and how – I don't tell fans how to act and how to how to be a fan. I just really appreciate the fact that our fans care and they love us. It seems like to me he's doing a good job taking the pressure off the players and even off of his uh, assistant coaches too. Yeah, and what's and when I say 90% don't know what they're talking about, that's not disrespectful. They truly don't know what they're talking about. I'm not saying they don't have a right to voice it and neither is Kalani because the last thing you want is to have a fan base that's so apathetic that the standard is really low and they don't care. And there are places like that around the country where if they could just win six games and get to a bowl, people would be happy. But when you lose two games in a row at BYU, the fans get anxious. They want to know what's going on. That's not a bad thing. The 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 standard is so high because of the excellence over time that really as a staff – and I think Kalani does a great job of this. You have to embrace that. You're like, yeah, we have a target on our backs. Yeah, if we lose two games in a row, people are upset. That's because the standard's high, and that's what we want it to be. And I would say that nobody's going to be more critical than the staff and the players themselves because they think that the standard is that high as well. Um, when I'm saying you can't listen to it, um, you just have to you have to block it out. You have to 
you're okay. Fans have a right to say whatever they want. Players don't have to listen to it, and they shouldn't because it's a distraction. What the players need to do is focus on what they're doing. And the coaches need to say just what Kalani's doing. Hey, they have every right, and we're glad that the standard's that high, and we're glad that the fan base is this passionate, and that's great. Now, they're not going to listen to individual fans and say, well, we should go to a four-man front because that's what's – like, yeah. but, but they they need to embrace the fact that people don't like it when they lose two games in a row. That's great. That's that's the standard you want, right? And you want to live up to that standard. You have an obligation to live up to that standard. I think Kalani does a good job of embracing that. Coach Satake was asked if there's going to be any changes with defensive coordinator – um, he said, "You know, we're feeling, we're all feeling pressure right now, and I can understand why." That's just how that's that's his job, and that's uh, the expectations of our fans are high, and I don't have a problem with it. So, the uh, reacting specifically on on that one, there's a there's a, when you're giving up that many points and that many yards, and there has to be that's the level of accountability. There has to be pressure on all of us, and and that's my job as head coach. I we know something's going to change. We're not exactly sure what it is, but we we know something will change. What do you anticipate from the defense this week? I think you're going to see a much simpler – because they've been trying to run a lot of complicated schemes here early in the season. They had some veteran guys. They have had some injuries to veteran guys like Malik Moore at free safety, who in the back end of your defense with all that experience can get guys aligned, can make checks, and do all those things. And so – so you go along, you play a great game to open the season, you start getting some guys nicked up, and and it seems like they've been adding more and more to the scheme as the competition's gotten better. And what and what we've seen is um, that the players aren't executing at a high level. I my own personal opinion is is because um, it's a little too complicated for them at this point. And so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see BYU this week go. We just need to be simpler with our schemes. Like, we need to put the players in a position where they're not thinking and they're just playing and reacting so that they can play fast. Um, I see some really uninformed tweets out there by people that have a lot of followers. Like, um, oh, see, that's Arkansas. SEC speed. BYU doesn't match up. That is a bunch of baloney. BYU does not have a lack of – that's like a 10-year-old narrative that's long gone. BYU's just as physical and just as fast as Arkansas. They've got they've got corners that run 10 500 meters just as fast as anybody in the country has. They have linebackers that can run with anybody in the country. They're just as big and physical. BYU's problem on defense is not that they don't have enough speed or they're not strong enough. Their problem on defense is you got two guys in the same gap. You got defensive backs playing man-to-man defense, lining up at the same level and running into each other. You have defensive backs looking into the backfield on a zone defense and not snapping their eyes back to the wide receiver and getting burned for a touchdown and a hitch and go. And I'm talking about corners that have plenty of speed to run with that wide receiver. It has nothing to do with speed or physicality. BYU's recruiting's changed. But to me, the glaring issue is um, – one game where the guys are having a problem with errors, especially on third down, you go, oh, okay, maybe this was just a bad week. But when two or three weeks in a row you're having similar breakdowns, mental breakdowns, two guys in the same gap, the long, wrong leverage here, a mix-up in coverage, a bad check, you know, they call a, a check to the wrong play, um, eyes in the wrong place, then you have to go back internally as a coaching staff and go, well, wait a minute here. Now that's back on us. 
yes, the player made the mistake, but obviously as a staff, we've given them too much. And our goal is to give them enough to be competitive, but little enough that they can just play free and fast and not have to think they can just react and play. That's not happened. So so what do I expect? I think Kalani understands that. And I think that I think that we're gonna see a much more simplified game plan where the defense can just run and play, fewer checks, less complicated schemes, and let them just go play, especially with the schedule over the next six weeks, right? Cornerback Gabe Judy Lolly said the players need to hold each other more accountable to each other. We're able to be able to talk with ourselves and um you know, call each other out on our mistakes. And at the end of the day, we all know it comes from a place of love. And, um, you know, that's how we're going to improve. If the coaches are always the ones telling us what we're doing wrong, you know, it's you sort of get a bad taste in your mouth at the end of the day. Is that how you and your teammates handled it when you were here at BYU? There is this, and and what when they say hold them accountable is you hold each other accountable to watch on film and then to make sure that the proper corrections are being made in practice. That next week, where you're helping each other, going, hey, remember this play last week? This is where the breakdown was. Do you have that now? We got that. We can't have that happen again. Where, and players love when coaches do what you mentioned earlier, Kalani does. Hey, this is on us. We did everything. But there were some pretty simple schemes that were blown last week where players were just like, you're going, in your mind, you're going, wait a minute. He's, he's the C gap player. He started in the C gap. Why did he just decide he was going to bounce to the B gap? And they ran it right down the C gap. Those are player errors. A good coaching staff never goes, hey, such and such blew it. Because what happens is when you take accountability as a staff like Kalani has done, Elisa has done, the players look at that and go, man, no way, man. I just watched the film. They told me to be in the C gap and I went in the B gap. That's on me. I need to get this right. Because I appreciate the coach taking the heat for me when that was my fault. And and that that's where Gabe's talking about players need to take some accountability and go, that's all fine and dandy to the public that the coach took took the heat for that. But I have to get better. Um, and I, I appreciate that mentality from players. When I was playing, we were really good for a lot of years. And I felt that like there was that mentality. Because Lavelle would do the same thing. Lavelle would say, no, that's on us. If they if they made those mistakes, then we didn't have them ready to go. It was the coaching staff. And we get together as a team, we're watching film, we're like, that's a bunch of crap. Coach prepared us. We blew it. And the coach had our back. Now we need to have his back and go out and perform this week because he took the heat when he didn't need to. So I, I love that circle and how that works. When Klein takes the heat, the player should go, okay, not we won't take it in public because he just did. But we're going to take the heat in practice and get better because we owe it to him for taking the heat in public. Blaine Fowler always brings the heat on Behind the Mic and on BYU Sports Broadcasts. Coming up next, Rudy Williams has found a home in Provo playing basketball, but it started out by leaving his home country of Canada when he was a teenager. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. Rudy Williams said, Growing up in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada was great. There was always something to do, including sports, and he loved hanging out with his big family. But to pursue his basketball dream of a college scholarship, Rudy knew he would have to leave home so that coaches in the U.S. could see him play. So he spent his junior year of high school in Florida and his senior year in North Carolina, 
and he didn't know his soul at either school. See, it was just like starting a whole new chapter in my life, and I was there by myself, and yeah, it was it was tough, but it was really fun, and, and it was a really fun journey, honestly, looking back at it. Was it tough on your mom, too? Uh, yes, for sure. You know, that summer before school started, it took a whole lot of convincing because I kind of had the idea of it in the early time of the summer, you know, the May, June, and I would always kind of pitch it to her, and she never thought I was mature enough. She didn't think I was ready to leave home. So that summer, I always like to say that I was on my best behavior <laughs> so I could prove to her that I was ready for this. And this was something I really wanted to do. So that summer, I made sure I stayed out of trouble, you know, and I just showed to her that, like, I was ready to take on this new journey in my life. So why end up going to Northeastern Oklahoma A&M? Why, why do you feel like that was the home for you at that time after you left high school? Um, I just remember we had college coaches coming in. It was during the springtime. We were doing spring workouts at my high school forest trail and the coaches from northeastern oklahoma they came through they were on their recruiting um their recruiting trail and that day i just had a good day and um you know i i think they fell in love with me at the time and um they just said they're like hey like we want you to come to our school and they were like really really consistent with the pressure of recruiting me and you know showing me a lot of love and stuff like that and me at the time i think i was 17 maybe 18 i have never been to Oklahoma. I didn't know much of Oklahoma, so I never really used to think much of it, but um, it was honestly just relationships, and I kind of just went with my gut and, you know, trusted their word, and it, it ended up working and panning out, honestly. Did, did that feel like a home to you in a way since you got to spend two years there, or was it just like a, a stopping place knowing I, I have bigger plans ahead in my life? Um, it became home, honestly. When I first got there, you know, I was really homesick. Um, Oklahoma was really foreign to me. Like, I thought I was in a completely different universe, honestly. But I just ended up growing to love it. And the people embraced me there. They loved me. You know, the school, they they took care of me. And um, it ended up being home. And, you know, I was kind of like the, the little golden child there for two years, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, you know, I still go back time to time and... They, they still show me nothing but love over there. So it ended up being home. If it would have been an opportunity for you to just like stay there, let's say that college was a four-year college, would you have, would you have stayed there all four years, you think? Um, most definitely, yeah, because I was comfortable there. Uh, you know, I was familiar with the area at the time, obviously, after the two years. And the, the like, you know, the life on the court, the basketball stuff, you know, I kind of figured it all out over there. So... If that was a four-year Division One college, I probably would have committed to the University of Northeast Oklahoma. But that's not what happened. You have to go somewhere else. And so yeah. you you end up at Kansas State University. Yes, sir. Um, did that feel like home to you? Why, why, why choose Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas? Um, I picked Kansas State, honestly, because when they were recruiting me, um, I knew a lot about Coach Weber. And, you know, growing up, watching him on TV as a kid, I knew who he was. And... Um, the staff kind of just, they showed me a lot of love. It was a weird time with recruiting and just in the world in general because that's when the pandemic broke out and everything got shut down and everyone got sent home. So it was a lot of FaceTime calls, Zoom calls, phone calls, and they called me every day. And, you know, they they cared about me more than just a person. You know, they um, they worried about me as a basketball player and a person. And they kind of just had a good vision for me there. And, and they said I had a good opportunity there to come play and help them win ball games and just grow as a person, as a player. And honestly, I feel like I did. I know I left, but 
I don't regret any time there in Manhattan, and um, I, I I loved it there. I enjoyed it. it was It was hard to leave for sure. Yeah. yeah. So why why do that? Why why if you had such a good experience and you felt great about the people around you, it seems again. You're comfortable. It's kind of like you're at home. It's kind of like, you know, when I go home, I'm like, oh, I'm at home, stuff like that. But with you, it's just kind of like, no, there's, there, is it something like, there's got to be something else out there for me? Um, Yeah, it was just tough because I didn't have the year that I wanted to have, you know, personally. Uh, I, at times I struggled, you know, at times I had a lot of success. But, um, and the team, we struggled as well too. We were a really young, young team. I think there was like eight or nine freshmen three guys transferring in. So we were a really young team. And um, honestly, I, I kind of just, when I envisioned my, my career in Division One, I, I just envisioned it, you know, just not that, you know. Like I said, it was tough to leave because I loved all the people there and I grew and I developed. But I just had a bigger vision for myself on the court. So when I was leaving, um, that's where my mind was at. And I was like, I just have to go somewhere where I can you know, maximize my game. So were you able to do that at Coastal Carolina? Because that's where you ended up next. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, Coastal Carolina, it was um, it was fun there. You know, I, I grew as a player there as well. And they kind of just, you know, they just let me do my thing there. And they, they rolled the ball out. And I, I had a lot of success on that stage over there in Myrtle Beach. It's a nice area. That seems like a nice place to stay. But you decide again. It's time to leave and try something else. Why Why? Why the move again and now to BYU? Well, honestly, after Coastal Carolina, it was tough to leave there as well, you know, because I had so much success. And there I was really comfortable, too. Like you said, it's a nice place to live. Myrtle Beach, you know, the, I was taken care of. Everyone loved me there. But, um, you know, I just kind of realized just throughout my life, I just wanted to keep evolving as a basketball player and just, you know, trying to take it to a new level and take my game to a new level. And... Um, I feel like I kind of did everything I had to do there at Coastal, and I was just looking for something bigger and better at the time, and uh, that kind of was what directed me into making my move to the transfer portal. And then when BYU came along, you know, I I had my background knowledge on BYU, you know, Jimmer for Dad and all that stuff, and I knew who Coach Pope was from back in his UVU days, and I just kind of did my homework, and I was like, this is kind of what I need for me to take a next jump as a person, as a player, you know, because BYU just has things that other people in other spots don't have, just, you know, point blank, period. So um, I just realized I was like, listen, if I want to grow in my final year of college and, you know, take it to the highest level, I was like, I have to be somewhere like here. So that's why I came. Rudy says BYU is exactly what he needed, and it's starting to feel like home. Cross-country runners Davin and Creed Thompson didn't travel far to get to BYU. The brothers from Lehigh were two of the top runners in the state of Utah when they committed to the Cougars. Oh, and they have a triplet sister who's on the University of Utah's gymnastics squad. Lest you think they lived an idyllic life, a tragedy when they were young changed their home life forever. Here's Davin. When, um, when me and Creed were 11, our dad passed away from leukemia, and then about like a couple years later, my mom got remarried to my stepdad, so... There's a lot of switching around and um, changing around, and it was hard to get used to as a kid, but it's made me into a better person, and I have no regrets with how I've lived my life so far. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but how has your dad's death influenced who you guys are today? Because you, I mean, Devin, you mentioned, and I'll, I'll get to you yeah. second, but Devin, you mentioned how it's like, you know, I, I feel pretty good about how things have gone. How, how has your dad's uh, death, how has that kind of influenced you today? Yeah, it's obviously a pretty traumatic experience, and like, 
uh, it's hard to deal with, but I think it just makes us stronger and like, like you have to move on. Like you can remember it, but you have to move on. You can't let it like ruin the rest of your life. So I think it's just helped us become stronger people overall. And yeah, just like get closer as a family. Okay. What about you, Devin? I think when a hard trial happens in your life, like for me, it was the death of my dad, but for me, I think it faces you with two choices. Like you can either make an excuse and dwell on the past and kind of like just not be motivated to live life anymore, or you can use it to motivate you to be better and become a better person and learn and grow from it. So I think initially after my dad died, like I was faced with the opportunity to choose between using it as a motivation or using it as an excuse. And I think I was surrounded by great people and was able to use it uh, to help me grow and become a better person. And obviously it's traumatizing and it's a sad thing, but I think it's a huge reason why I've become successful and I've become the person I am today. Okay, Creed, we'll start with you on this. When you guys made a decision on where you were going to go to school, how did, how did how you grew up and your home life and everything, how did that play into your decision? Just being triplets, you're kind of just used to being around people and being really close to your siblings. And we kind of knew all along that we wanted to come here because like, we have a lot of friends just from the running world that have already come here just from running in Utah. And I knew that coming here, I'd be able to be really tight and really close with all my teammates because we have the same morals, we're, we have the same beliefs, and I think that can play a big part in just, like, the team culture and, like, building, like, a brotherhood. And I think I really thrive off of that just because of the way I grew up and, like, being super close with my siblings. So that that's a really big reason why I came here. Okay, Davin, I, I want to ask something else on that. Yeah. Did you guys make this decision to come to BYU independent of each other or because you are, you know, close brothers, you know, did that play a part into like, yeah, I kind of want to be where my brother is too? I think we never really like discussed it like in that way, like, oh, we have to go to the same school. I think we always just knew that we were going to end up picking the same place just because we've been so tight growing up, like we've barely spent any time apart from each other. So I think we're similar enough people (laughs) that we ended up making the same decision either way. But I think if we ended up kind of wanting to go to different schools, we would have discussed it more and probably ended up going to the same school either way. Because I think there's a a big strength in being a twin as a runner because it's a lot easier to hold each other accountable. And like when Creed's when Creed's going to bed early and doing extra stuff outside of practice to become a better runner and I see him doing that, then it motivates me to do it also. And we, we're just building off of each other and our strengths and it helps each of us become better people. Okay. Do you do you ever get tired of Creed though, Davin? No, not really. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know just like to not have a twin, so it's like always having someone around me is just normal. Okay. Are you Creed? Are you, are you guys roommates? Do you is that the case? Yeah, we've never not been in the same room together. So like we've always just slept together, done everything together, 
and the most time we've been apart is when I got a girlfriend, and yeah. it's we're still together like twenty four seven. So, you you mentioned that you have a sister. She attends the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. When when you, when you two were making your decisions on where you wanted to go to school, and you're like, yeah, we're going to go to BYU. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the University mm-hmm. of Utah. I, it, this has nothing to do with rivalry, but was there any was there anything like? you know, maybe I'll go to the University of Utah because I wouldn't mind being close to my sister. Or is it just a little bit different because your third sibling is a female? We'll start with Creed first. She always wanted to go there growing up. And she initially committed to, I think, Cal Berkeley, just verbally. But she couldn't deny that she always wanted to go to the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same here. Like, BYU has one of the best programs in the nation for running. And just ever since I started running, it was my dream to come here. And I couldn't pretend to not want to come here so (laughs) and the university of utah doesn't have a men's distance program so i didn't really have a choice i had to come here how often do you know like your mom uh other siblings come and support you so at our home races usually like my mom and my stepdad and some of my siblings will come and support but like like you said there's very few home races um but my mom actually got a job like haircutting at a salon so that she could come watch all of our races out of state so my mom has come to almost every out of state race and supported us which is super awesome she's always been there for us which is super special so we okay creed what about your sister though i mean i know she's a student at the university of utah does she come support you at your races too yeah she's been pretty good good at coming like for the the ones that are in utah at least but it's kind of funny because like at the university of utah gymnastics is like a super big thing it's like probably more like hype to go to there than like a football game because they just have a super amazing place so my mom always invites like everyone to go to her gymnastics meets (laughs) and then it's just like her and my stepdad at our cross-country meets so it's kind of sad but yeah it's funny what do you think home likes can look like when you guys are done with your with your athletic career here at BYU but also your your academic career here at BYU we'll go with we'll go with Creed first that's a really good question I I'm not one who is super fond of growing up and becoming an adult I like (laughs) having fun and being a kid but I I think family is super important so I think living by each other and still being super close maybe still going for runs in the morning together when we're grown up and married i think that would be awesome but who knows okay Devin, what do you think yeah hopefully after college we can both run professionally and still live by each other and train together but yeah like you said like family is a huge part of life and a huge part of our faith so we'll eventually both get married and have kids and maybe we'll go down different paths but I've always liked the idea of living close to each other and staying close. Speaking of close, they finished right next to each other in two of the three races this season. Thanks for listening to Behind the Mic. Please download, subscribe, rate the show wherever you get podcasts, or listen to episodes on BYURadio.org or on the free BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.